Continuing our, our Central Asia theme, that video was made by um, some people who are working with Alison, uh, one of our other partners uh, in Central Asia. So it's great to kind of remember our partnerships uh, around the world this morning. A story can be found on page 1069 uh, of the Church Bibles if you want to follow it. It's John chapter 6 uh, and verses uh, 1 to 15 we're looking at this morning. Um, John chapter 6, page 1069. And as we go through the story, can I invite you to join in when you hear certain words, okay? It's a bit, um, bit of action this morning. Uh, when you hear about the great crowd, we hear a lot about the great crowd. I wonder if you could stand up. I'm going to make you practice. If you could stand up and make crowd-like noises, whatever sort of noise you think a crowd would make. Could you stand up, practice now, come on, and, uh, and be a great crowd. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So every time you hear great crowd, up you get and make great crowd noises. If it's easy for you to stand, please uh, just make a noise where you're sat otherwise. When you hear the words bread or loaves, uh, please would you make the sign for bread, which I believe is this, and uh, a kind of mmm sort of noise or tasty or whatever you like. Okay, let's practice that. Bread. Mmm. Okay, good. Um, Sounds a bit chanty, but never mind. Um, And uh, when you hear the word fish, uh, please would you make the fish sign, and if you can, do a bit of a... Yeah, good. Yeah, I won't tell you what it looks like, but um, you look funny. Good. Well, let's have a look at, at what happened then. Okay, so remember, that's, that's what you've got to do when I say certain words. So I'm going to go through that story again and just explain a bit more about it. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. Yay. Bit slow. Because they saw the signs he performed by healing those who were ill. Jesus had been healing loads of people from all kinds of illness. So many people were coming to Jesus, in fact, that Mark's Gospel said uh, that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. Mark tells us that Jesus crossed over the far shore of the sea because he wanted to take his disciples to a quiet place for some rest. But the crowd saw them getting into their boats. Thank you. Good. He saw them getting into their boats and guessed where uh, he was going and wanted to run to, to run to meet him there. Because of this, they'd seen Jesus healing all these people who were ill. So John continues, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd hey, coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread mm, for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread Mm, for each one to have a bite. Uh, Philip was talking about something that's kind of eight months wages for for a common labourer. I reckon that's about eight and a half grand if you base it on on the 2016 living wage. It would take more than eight and a half grand to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. That's a lot of bread. Mm. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He's a boy with five small barley loaves Mm. and two two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. 
5,000 men. That's just the number of men. And then there were women and children too. In addition, Matthew says the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's like uh, some, some people estimate 20,000 or more people were there at this meal. That's, uh, that's about the number of students who turn up each year at the University of Southampton. Or uh, think about Centre Court at Wimbledon in a, in a couple of weeks' time, whenever that is. That only holds 15,000 people. It's more than Centre Court. It's approaching St. Mary's, 32,000 people. Or if you see any footage later on today of the patron's lunch uh, at St. James's Park for the Queen's birthday, imagine two times that number, 10,000 guests. Look at that later and imagine two times that number of people. That's a lot of people. Jesus then took the loaves, mm, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated a tiny crumb each. Is that what it says? No. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. 20,000 people. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. He gave thanks and distributed as much fish as they wanted. These 20,000 people ate that day as much bread and fish as they wanted. They ate until they'd had enough. And then Jesus tells a joke. When they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, here's his joke, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Leftovers? You've got to be kidding. There's 20,000 people here and five small loaves and two small fish. Leftovers? This great crowd of thousands and thousands have just eaten as much bread and fish as they want from just those five small loaves. Why on earth would anyone imagine that there were leftovers? And yet Jesus said, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I'm glad some of you are still going. Are you amazed? Are you amazed by this lavish supply of bread and fish that Jesus provided from just five small loaves and two small fish? Maybe you find this literally incredible. You struggle to accept that this actually ever happened. It's absurd. And I'm not surprised if that's your reaction. In fact, surely that's the most normal reaction. And I'm not going to completely remove your skepticism in the time I have now. But let me encourage you to consider the evidence. The event is recorded in all four of the New Testament Gospels, documents which can be intelligently reasoned to be historically reliable. Besides, it's not as if what Jesus did is what the people who were there expected to happen. Philip could only think of purchasing enough bread. Andrew, the one who discovered the boy with the bread and the fish, he questioned how far this would go. He thought it was inadequate too. What about the great crowd though? Hey, come on. What about the great crowds? How did they react? We'll see a bit later that they were just as astonished. So astonished that they concluded something very significant about who Jesus is. We'll come back to that in a moment. For now, we're going to do a little small-scale reconstruction uh, of the event. So, Jesus has just performed this sign... He's provided this lavish abundance of bread and fish for the great crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And the people who experienced it were so astonished, they concluded something very significant about who Jesus is. 
If you've still got your Bible open, please take a look with me at verses 14 to 15 of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Why is that so significant? Did you notice they didn't say, surely Jesus is a prophet. No, they said Jesus is the prophet who is to come into the world. And once you know what you were referring to, then this whole event falls into place. You might have heard of Moses. He's one of the key characters in in the history of God's people. Moses was a leader of God's people in the Old Testament part of the Bible. As we saw last week, he wrote some of it, the first five books. And in the fifth book, Deuteronomy, in chapter 18, Moses said this, and I think the words may appear up on the screen behind me, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So God's people were expecting a prophet to come. Now, they'd had loads of prophets since Moses, but this prophet to come would be just like Moses. That would mean at least whatever else, this prophet must be at least as great as Moses was. He would play at least a significant role in the history of God's people. And if you were among this great crowd of Jewish people, you would have known very well that Moses wrote wrote this. You would have been aware that for centuries your people had been waiting, waiting, expecting this prophet to come. And maybe, just maybe... As you, seem to, as you feasted on this bread that seemed to come from nowhere, whilst you were kind of in the wilderness, Mark records that this was a solitary, a remote place, on the far shore of the sea, just maybe up a mountainside in the remote place, a memory stirred of something else you'd read in the books written by Moses. Now read Exodus chapter 16 for yourselves later on if you want to follow this up. But basically God's people complained that there was, they were going to starve to death in the wilderness. They, they referred back to a time when actually they, had, uh, they ate all they wanted. Sound familiar? God answered by raining down bread for them. Bread from heaven. Fresh bread every day. They each had as much as they needed. God provided this bread in the wilderness for 40 years. And God gave instructions through Moses to the people to keep some of this bread so they could remember how God had provided for them. So this crowd, this great crowd who'd followed Jesus up the mountainside on the far side of the sea would have known the story of God raining down bread from heaven in the days of Moses. They would have known that Moses spoke of a prophet like him who was to come. Do you see it yet? Some of them saw it. They had seen Jesus performing numerous signs. They'd heard him teach. In fact, Mark says that he taught them many things on this mountainside before he fed them. And now Jesus has just given them bread to eat for, to satisfy their hunger in this remote place. And it began to dawn on them. Surely, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one Moses wrote about. This is the messenger God promised to send. And then maybe it begins to dawn on us too. As we read John's Gospel, 
What did Jesus say in the verses we were looking at just last week? These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Moses wrote about me. They were right, of course. Their amazement at what Jesus had done had led them to the right conclusion about who Jesus is. And yet they still didn't quite get it. They misunderstood at least one thing. They understood correctly that the prophet who was to come was more than just a prophet. They appeared to understand again correctly that this prophet would also be their king. They intended to come and make Jesus king by force. Jesus is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus is at the same time the king. But they misunderstood the nature of his reign. They presumably thought that as the first prophet Moses led people out of slavery in Egypt, surely the prophet like Moses, who's now arrived, surely he would help them escape the, the rule of, of Rome occupying them. Especially given the time of year, the Passover, a time of national uh, identity, a time of celebration of the rescue from slavery in Egypt. Even more fitting, they should make Jesus king by force and overthrow the Romans. Maybe they had a slogan like, take back control. Nigel and Boris would have been uh, in their elements. Uh, But Jesus would not let them make him king by force. Jesus is the king, but he's a different kind of king to the one who they were expecting. The real nature of Jesus' kingship will be seen later in John's gospel. In chapter 18, uh, when when Pilate, the Roman governor, examines Jesus before sentencing him to death by crucifixion, Pilate asks Jesus if he's the king of the Jews. Jesus answers him, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Jesus is mocked as king. The charge against him on the cross is king. He's the king with real authority, ultimate authority. Jesus is the sovereign of the universe, the king of heaven, and the king of kings. We'll think more about this in a moment. For now, we're going to sing another song. Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. He's the one, the promised son of God, the prophet who was to come. He's the Lord. He's the one you can't ignore. He's the king. So, uh, as we uh, approach uh, the end of our our time, uh, we've looked at the sign that Jesus performed. We've began to consider the truth that the sign points to. We've seen that Jesus is the prophet who is to come into the world, the one Moses wrote about. We've noted that Jesus is the king, not in the sense the crowd thought. Jesus is a different kind of king. His power is not seen in uprising against the occupying Roman Empire. This king's power is seen in the most unlikely of places, on a cross and in a tomb. Is there, uh, it's there on the cross that King Jesus accomplishes the deliverance of his people from their greatest enemies, the enemies of sin, death, and evil. Uh, I like this quote uh, from a guy called Edmund Clowney. He would go to Jerusalem not to wield the spear and bring the judgment, but to receive the spear thrust and bear the judgment. His power is seen also in the tomb where this crucified king was laid because he's no longer there, because Jesus defeated death. And overcame the grave because Jesus, the king, is risen and alive. As he said to Pilate, Jesus' kingdom is like no other. In addition to all this, there's something else that this sign points to about who Jesus is that we haven't covered yet. And uh, Jesus himself will unpack the meaning of this 
uh, in the rest of chapter 6, as we'll see next week uh, with Andrew and, uh, and the week after that. Essentially, the sign that Jesus uh, performed of creating this lavish supply of bread pointed to the reality that Jesus himself is the true bread from heaven. I wonder what food uh, you think you could not survive without. KFC, maybe, uh, or, uh, or chocolate. I don't know what it is. Anyone got any other foods they might not survive without? Cheese. Yeah, I was going to have that one. Yeah, okay. For these people in John 6, bread was life. Bread was the main ingredient of their diet. If you didn't have bread, you weren't going to live very long. As we'll see next week, Jesus explains that he is the bread who comes down from God to give life to the world. Both this sign and the provision of manna in the wilderness uh, in Moses' day point to the truth that Jesus is the one who comes from God to give life to the world. Maybe some of us remember John chapter 20 and verses 30 to 31 by now. Jesus performed many other signs, John writes, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll discover more what Jesus meant by this. For today, I want to finish by thinking about two simple responses. The first response is the response of believing. I'm getting quite hungry now, actually. Uh, Any idea what I could do about it? I'm getting really hungry, but I'm not quite sure what I could do about my hunger. Anyone got any ideas? Anything I could do that sort of, you know, would help me with my hunger? Anyone at all? Yeah? Oh, yeah, I've got some bread, haven't I? Oh, great, thanks. Yeah, all right, well, um, let's have a look at the bread. Give it a bit of a poke. Yeah. Nice, yeah? Looks quite good, doesn't it? In fact, I'm just going to have a little look at my book I bought with me this morning. This is my uh, really interesting book about bread. So I'm just going to have a study of my book about bread. Yeah. You know, I'm still really hungry. Really hungry still. This isn't helping me. And I've got no idea what I need to do. Eat it. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's give that a go. Right. Um, oops. It was already stale. I'm not wasting it. Why? Well, I am. Um, okay. So, I've got some bread. It's okay. I can look at it. I can examine it. I can read about it. But unless I eat it, it won't do me any good. That's how I get life from the bread. By eating it. By taking it in. And Jesus says that to get life from him, it's like you need to eat the bread. You need to take it in. You need to receive him. To use his words, we need to believe in him. The first response is to believe in Jesus. The second response is the response of listening. As the prophet, Jesus brings God's message to us. That's the role of a prophet. And God said in Deuteronomy, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words, but the prophet speaks in my name. Jesus is the one who God the Father has sent. Are we listening to him? Are we doing what he says? Maybe for some of us, We need to obey him by believing for the first time this morning. Maybe for others of us, we need to listen to what he says about some area of our lives and obey him in that. He's the one who reveals God to us, though. And God will hold us to account if we fail to listen to his revelation of himself, of who he is in his son Jesus.